Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside of your race or comfort zone. This season of the podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. I'm your host, Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Dell. And today we are excited to welcome another, another wonderful guest, Dejan Jones, to the podcast. Oh, my. I'm just glad. Yeah, this is exciting. So, uh, Dejan, welcome. Thank you so much. It is such a delight to be here. And I don't know what I did to be so special to finally land on the podcast, but it is the joy of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll we'll get talking about how we kind of know each other and the work yeah. we do and all that. So, um, but before uh, we want to let the listeners know who you are. Uh, and so Dijon Jones is the executive director of OIC of Oklahoma County. What, what? OIC stands for Opportunities Industrialization Center. The organization has been around for more than 50 years and specializes in classes, skills training, and day-to-day living courses. Um, OIC recently launched their business academy, which I'm pumped about, uh, and their business think tank, which I'm excited about. And uh, we're just going to have a conversation about a few things today on on what you're doing, the work you do, the way you live your life, uh, and some conversations on race. So welcome to the podcast again. Thank you so much. I mean, I am ready for the whole thing. You can, we can ask you anything? You can ask me anything. Wow. I am totally ready. Wow. No stops, <laughs> no speed bump. Like, let's no, go. No I knew, guidelines. I already knew that because we have been recently, we've known about each other yeah. for a number of years. And we have not been able to share space until recently. Yes. And it's been wonderful. It has. You know, I have followed you and your career <laughs> oh, really? for a number of years. And, and, and I've, I've always thought to myself, you know, I love the work you're doing, but I, I, didn't, even, I, I didn't even dare to think, like, how was I going to meet you? Uh, and so it happened so organically that it, I, I was totally not ready. You don't know it, but I was girl fan and I was playing it real cool. But really? I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm in the room. That's crazy. People, That's have, crazy. people have that reaction with Cubit. So. No, no, no. But I, so what we need to do, we need to establish all the little nuggets about who you are, right? Oklahoma. That's a lot of nuggets. Oklahoma City. I mean, you know, let's, let's unpack. Who are you? Well, um, besides being the executive director for OIC, which I will tell you, this work is so amazing, not just because it's this organization, but because it's the it's the merging of my vocation and my personal ministry. Mm. I feel like I, I am certain that one of the gifts that God gave me to do my purpose in life is to help people get to the next level, whatever that means. And so I have a spiritual gift of encouragement. It took me a lot of years to come around to understanding that that's what it was. You probably knew it, but you didn't say it. I didn't you just think said it. it. That's so powerful. Gift. Yeah. I thought it was mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm just kind of a sunny side of the street kind of girl. <laughs> but no, this is my spiritual gift to be able to see the bright spots in every possible thing and to help somebody else get there. 
Um, and so I am, I am a, a minister of the gospel. I am a minister, um, an associate minister at Mount Triumph Baptist Church uh, with Pastor James Dorn. Dorn. Yeah, yeah. Really community-centered, yeah. community-minded. Um, I am a mother. I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. I am a great friend, my bestie of more than 35 years, Colonel Demetria S. Walker. Um, I am a D1 and a hitter uh, <laughs> to my, my other D1 hitter friend, Michelle Jensen. Um, and I am, you know, I, I am a woman and mm. a black woman in particular. And I say that um, because I know that it makes me a queen. And when you are a queen navigating in society, you have certain responsibilities. You don't get the luxury of just being any old kind of way. You have a responsibility to help other people, number one, feel comfortable in your presence, and number two, really embrace who they are and make it a safe, a safe space and a free space for them to be who they are. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to give to somebody. Yeah. I, man, I want to know how you and Tito met, but you just said some stuff that I can go like a, a, a mile with. Yeah. <laughs> a mile. So can I do I have the luxury of going a little bit of a little bit away? Because I want to know. So I want you to help someone when they hear a black woman say, I'm a queen. Yeah. Unpack where you get that from and why that is a definite statement. That is not a I wonder if or any of that kind of stuff. It is a very compelling, like it is a statement of truth when you said it. Absolutely. Explain that. As women. We get fed such a bill of goods sometimes that we are who we are and it's defined only by, you know, whether or not we have children, mm-hmm. whether or not we belong to a man. And, and hear me when I say that I am a strong advocate for the kings. Mm-hmm. So this is not at all that, you know, women don't need men. This is not that. But there are so many things in society that challenge us and check us and seek to tear us down if we don't fit into a certain mold. That if you're not this, then that somehow makes you less of a woman. When in fact, being female is the embodiment of God, Mm -hmm. just like being male is. His word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and in his image. And so if I wake up every day confronting the world like the world decides who I'm going to be on that day, then that's not embracing what he truly put in me. Mm. That Mm. who you are and what you are is more than enough. I am unbothered and unthreatened by what other people think about what I should be because that's not up to them. Mm. And my responsibility as a queen is to help other queens recognize that very thing in themselves. So women get kind of a bad rap for tearing each other down, judging one another in ways that are so very harsh. When, if she's pretty, it doesn't take away from me being pretty. Too. Yes, right. There's, you know, pretty is not pie. You know, <laughs> it's not giving away <laughs> to a be slices. Divided right? up. You know, there's only so much to go around. You know, if if she's smart, if she's wonderful, if she's awesome, if she's boss, if she's creative, her being those things doesn't take away from who I am, too. We can do that and be in the same space. There's enough air. 
You know, it, it, it it's like sand. There's more than enough. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you see it and meet it that way, then you can help other people rise to that occasion. So that and it's not that there's nothing in my life that's ever broken me or wounded me. There are many things that have. But my centering point comes back to remembering that that's who I am. Yeah. And I'm you, more than enough. And you didn't and you didn't you didn't say and that's what it's a, I'm a black queen. You said I'm a black woman and a queen and a queen, which 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 says that all women, all women. All women. All women. Right? It's not It's not because I, um, I have dark skin that makes me a queen. No. It is all the things you just described. I just wanted to clarify that because we hear Absolutely. a lot of black women describing themselves as that. I don't hear white women yeah. describing themselves as queen, but you just said sister. Sister. You're a queen as well. You're a well. queen too. <laughs> all right. You how are you a queen that? too. That's good. Yeah. All right. I, I got <laughs> off, but I want to know how y'all know each other. I, you yeah. know, that, I mean, I, I, whew, how do you know this queen, Tito? And she's been rocking with the East Side longer, maybe long, longer than I. I mean, we our our friendship started pretty recently. Yeah. Okay. So okay. she can kind of share about our crossing at, at OIC and in business. I love business. She loves business. Yeah. Elevating people to the next level. Um, I love doing that. I think we have some heartstrings that are tied. We do. Um, so um, I'll let you share a, a little bit about how our paths crossed. You know, as as you were asking that question, I was really thinking to myself, how did I meet? Tito, (laughs) because because like you, you know, knowing him is so natural and organic that I was thinking, when did I not know you? Mm. Um, You know, as we launched this idea, I guess probably a year and a half ago. And this um, is the business incubator, the OIC Business Academy, a business academy. Okay. Mm -hmm. While everything was happening in 2020, of course, with COVID and, and all of that stuff, and then you had all of the issues with civil rights and race relations, and then George Floyd and, and Ahmaud Arbery and all of that, oh, my goodness. I remember getting to a point where it felt so relentless. And, and I have friends who don't look like me. I have friends who happen to be white. One of my friends, uh, Misty, I was talking to her one day and she called me and she said, I needed to call and see if you were okay. Mm-hmm. And for one of the first times in my life, I had to tell her I'm not okay. You know, and, and as I was talking to her, she said, you know, what can I do? I said, Misty, I don't know, but you got to do something. And then I was scrolling through uh, Facebook and I saw a meme that said, um, it, it said black people, colon, it said to our white friends, we are not okay. We need you to do something. Mm-hmm. And what that meant was uh, all of these things that suddenly were thrust into the forefront of society that we're all talking about and black lives matter and, and you're killing our sons and our uncles and our brothers and our fathers in the street like it doesn't matter and our sisters. And we've been sounding the alarm since the beginning of time, that this is what is happening. And what we get in return for that is, well, but they must have done something wrong or, well, 
if he hadn't have or well. And every time that becomes the story, then there's another situation where that person did or didn't do exactly what somebody said they should or shouldn't do. And they're dead, too. And I began to realize, you know, I'm the mother of a 29 year old son mm-hmm. uh, who is in the United States Air Force. And he he is something special. I mean, he is a king for sure. And the thought that he might, I, I feel more comfortable when he's away, you know, on his duty assignment and on the Air Force base because someone may remember that this might be one of the young men who's in the military. But if he comes home, they don't know that. And, you know, and so as I was talking to Misty, I told her, she said, um, you know, well, I, I know and, and I know that I don't understand you know, what is your greatest concern? And I started to cry. I said that they're going to kill my son in the street, thinking that he's just another somebody. The things that we saw transpire, that we see transpire, those are things that happen to people who are identified by other people as powerless, that we can do this to you, and you mean so little that it's not even going to cause a ripple. When George Floyd was killed and we all watched it, I still remember because, you know, the smoke had started before I'd even seen the video. And as I watched that in my house, I mean, I cried uncontrollably like I, you know, and, you know, and somebody said to me later, like, you know, did you know him? No, I didn't know him. But you understand he looks just like my uncle. Uh He looks just like my brother. And for someone to treat him like his life doesn't matter. It was, it was jarring. It was a gut punch. And so in thinking in and around that space um, in, in 2020, um, funding with the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund came through. And the only thing I could think about was we have to level the playing field. OIC has 55 years in the game of serving adults. What else can we do to level the playing field? And so we started to think about the incarceration rates in Oklahoma and what could we do. One of my very, very best friends um, had been sentenced to 26 years in the federal penitentiary for drug trafficking, and he had just gotten out after 17 years. Uh, His name is Dietrich. And when I, and Dietrich was, I mean, he did the crime. You know, Mm -hmm. Waylon Tito, he did it. You know, he, you know, he was, he did it. <laughs> right. Um, and he did it in a big way. Right. You know, and, and he managed to do some things that converted some things to some legitimate businesses and stuff like that. Um, and I remember being in the courtroom the day he was sentenced, 17, you know, now 20 years ago. Um, and it occurred to me that, you know, you can't be lazy and commit this crime. <laughs> you know, you can't have a poor work ethic right. and commit this crime. Um, and he had all of those things. The problem wasn't his hustle. The problem was the product. Wow. And so what would happen if we could take people like that and teach them, you know, how to apply that hustle to, to, some, to a more legitimate business venture? then we could truly change the game in establishing black-owned businesses. 
Uh, and so that's really how the OIC Business Academy was born. Um, I met uh, two other friends, uh, Shamia Jackson, who served on our board of directors, uh, and she had already introduced me to Derek Sire, um, and he's been our graduation speaker forever. He doesn't know that later today I'm going to ask him to do it again. And that's how we created the Business Academy, and, and the two of them talked about Tito. Tito would be so perfect for this right here. Oh, you know, you know, we've got this topic. Tito's got like, who is this Tito? I'm like, they keep talking about this, bro. Who is this? And so when I finally, we didn't have a chance to meet during the first cohort, mm-hmm. and but during the second cohort, his schedule opened up, and he was able to be with us. And I just thought, how did I not know you? You know, this boss dude who is is not just connected but your heart mm. your heart for you know for the east side and for fair play and for seeing people as they are is the truest i've ever seen mm. and i knew from the first minute i met you oh i'm keeping him around forever <laughs> i'm not letting you get away and so that's how we met that's the long way around it <laughs> and well thank you for those words I feel like we were family on the first day. First day. <laughs> Do it. Like, and you have that with people, right? Like, and I said this, I think we had heart ties early on of like, mm-hmm. you, you get around people who are real and serious about their craft and their heart and their love for people. Yeah. And it, it accelerates. I feel like I've known you for oh, yeah. a decade. Honestly, like I feel that exactly. comfortable around you. Exactly. And we really have not known each other that long. It's barely been a year. <laughs> barely, barely, barely been a year. And, and and I've just now kind of <laughs> stepped in a little bit more on the on on OIC just because I believe so much in what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and and I've I've got to step in on some some of the programming that they're doing. Uh, in our last episode, we had Derek Sire on here, and yeah. and we had an amazing conversation. He is like my brother, uh, and so where he goes, I go. <laughs> and <laughs> I have not been yet. I feel oh, it's like what's up? We we're gonna fix that. We're gonna fix that next yes. week. Don't even worry about <laughs> yeah, it. We're next week, we're gonna fix it. We're gonna fix it. I don't know. You'll be there. I feel like what I've seen about her and what she said. I feel like you ought to drop like the 2007 note on her. It's worth repeating. Yeah. No, this is your content. Uh, uh, I'll now, introduce it for you. Yeah, please just tell her. Just tell. Just tell her she fits it. Like she fits it. Like so, it's the thing. We're gonna repeat it all the time. We're gonna we're gonna start repeating it. So so Cubit <laughs> wrote a note to himself in 2007, and it said, "This is what I, this is what I think success is okay. in working in the community," and and he gives four points, which I'm gonna have him give. Oh, you can do them. No, right. you, you got this. He 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 has has these four points, and he and you line up with them, similar to Derek, and I feel like. If someone aligns with these four things, like they're family automatically with me. That's it. So I didn't have the vocabulary until recently. Like this is this is recent. Like this is hot off the press. The note that he found and, and I'm sent cleaning me a my text. desk out. <laughs> it, and so I write little notes to myself all the time. I do that. <laughs> like before Twitter, like I was tweeting myself <laughs> like all the time. And this was, I guess, one of those self tweets. And cleaning out my desk, I went. It reminded me, like, okay, this is you got to make sure that you pay attention to this being intentional every day. And then I wanted to start identifying champions in the community that I believe that are standing up to this already, yeah. Yeah. already. And so basically what it said, basically what I, what I wrote to myself 
was under the under the guise of leadership. Uh, good leaders, and eh, that's one. But for me, great leaders are this. They are people, you can identify them because they are people that care more than others think is wise. Ooh. Yeah. Just wait, just wait. Right? Don't call me because he's about to drop yeah. three more yeah. on you. Yeah. They risk more than other people think is safe. They dream yeah. more than other people think is practical. Yeah. And they expect more than what other people think is possible. That's it. That's power. That's power. Let me, that, that's, that's power. <laughs> So That's when power. when I heard him, there's names that come to mind, and I want to give you props. I think you live out the way you live your life and the way you choose to move around this city yeah. falls in line with all four of these things. I received that. I received that. You know, I um I had a board meeting yesterday, and and we have our uh, our spring graduation coming up, and the spring graduation is for adults who have gotten their their high school diploma. And one of my board members said, well, why don't we merge the graduation for those students with the graduation from the Business Academy? And one of my other board members started to answer and said, well, they're two different populations. I said, no, they're not. <laughs> they're yeah. the same population. He said, well, I mean, um, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, you know, like they're different. I said, no, they're not different. And I will rebuff anything that says, see, because that idea is what makes people think that the one in five Oklahomans who reads below a fifth grade level, it makes people think that they're somehow those people over mm -hmm. there, like there's some fringe of society, you know, like the lepers, you know, hanging outside of town, when in fact they're not. That one in five, they are among us. They are our friends, our neighbors. Some of them are people who work with us in our workplaces. You know, you don't have a statistic like that and they be some, you know, some secular group that's, you know, off from the population. They are, they are a part of our population. And the same thing is true with the adults. There are 65,000 adults in Oklahoma County over the age of 18 that do not have a high school diploma and need one. They're not, you know, they're not isolated. They have jobs and many of them have businesses. And so, you know, as I was explaining, one of my board members said, okay, well, she's checking us. I'm like, but yeah, I said, it's not a checking. Among the other things, the thing that I consider the most important that we do at OIC is advocate advocate for populations that are deemed powerless, for people who cannot read, for people who cannot speak English well, for people who do not have a high school diploma. It's our responsibility to make sure that the whole of society understands who they are and who they are not. They are not, people always think the, you know, the, the person who needs to get their diploma or GED is the girl, the promiscuous girl in high school, you know, the boy who fell in with the bad crowd. That's not even the most of what we hear. And so in all of that, um, that passionate advocacy, you know, it's that fourth point, expecting more than others think is possible mm -hmm. because it's important to me that they see it too, you know, right. if they're going to serve this organization. And you're dreaming big, right? You're dreaming big. Yeah. And so you have to move. You, so in this work, right, and you kind of alluded to it, 
and then you talked about why you created or why OIC created these incubators in the, in the business academy mm-hmm. is if you're working with people and you care for people, there's, there's systematic barriers yes. that you, you, you see. Yes. Talk about the ones that just, just come up over and over and over that you feel like you're helping people navigate. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so much of it, uh, I, I think a lot of times people want to think that that everything is just kind of like all in your mind, right? That um, that when when they're when you're trying to do something or move in a certain direction, that those barriers are like you know like don't believe what they say about you. You know you're wonderful, you're whole, you're smart, you was kind, and all of that. But the truth of the matter is, there's a very real language of success that permeates systems throughout our community. And there are some communities that don't know how to speak that language. (laughs) And so what's being held against you is the fact that you don't know that language. And so you don't know when you're trying to fund your business or, or start something or even just get a better job in a certain area where there may not be a lot of people who look like you and you don't know that when you say this, it feels like this, or when they say this, it means this. And so who's going to help them figure out what that language is? You know, like we were talking earlier when, you know, when someone says, you know, hey, so-and-so, I'm looking for somebody who can do this kind of work. If you know anybody, let me know. You know, but then there are whole people that they never hear about that job because they don't know that language. What our responsibility is, is to help teach people that language of success, you know, and show them that really all things are possible. You know, the American dream really is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Now it may, you know, I had a grandmother and, and Waylon, I know that you had a grandmother and our parents, you know, they did the Papa Pope speech with you got to run faster, jump higher, work twice as hard to get half as much. Um, because they understood that there were going to be things completely outside of your control that were going to be held against you. You know, my grandmother was a real advocate for speech, you know, how, how we spoke. And my grandmother was one of 17, and she was from the country, Shakota. Um, but she was adamant about how we spoke to one another. Mm-hmm. I remember being a child in school um, and, you know, from both black kids and white kids being told, oh, you talk white. It's like, because I have good command of English, <laughs> you know, not having that is not a black thing. <laughs> you know, mm. I, I know, I know how to speak. Um, and the truth is having that skill has afforded me access in a lot of areas early in my life. Wow. So if I could help somebody understand some things, why wouldn't I? Why yeah. wouldn't I? Yeah, that's interesting. Go ahead, Tito. I know you you wanted to to talk about. Yeah, I think after our last OIC meeting, we you and I stepped out in the hall. uh, People were leaving. We were talking just about how OIC is growing the 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 business academy. Yes. (laughs) How uh, there's some increased excitement around what you're doing and uh, what the team is doing. With that, more people are getting to know you and getting to know your heart. Uh, learning about what you're doing, what you're about. You're finding yourself in new rooms, new networks, new parts of the city. And you often get asked uh, questions. Do you know, we're looking for this role. Do you know somebody? Right. 
uh, and they're typically asking you a specific question, specific, sometimes very uh, specific, a question. roundabout way. So can you can you share a little bit about what those conversations look like? Sure. What you're feeling, what you're thinking, kind of in those moments, um, in in what that looks like. Sure. So um, so one of the things that I, I've shared with you is. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, I kind of fancy my role as that designated black professional friend um, that non-black people can feel comfortable, you know, coming to me and asking questions. And, you know, and sometimes it might seem like a raw bill of goods um, where like, well, why do I have to, you know, explain or whatever for an entire collective of people? But one of the things that I have learned is that when someone wants, to, if someone wants to know about you, and about people like you, who better to respond than someone who's like you? Mm -hmm. You don't want them to figure it out on their own. Um, and so what I get, you know, um, actually with some regularity, is I get, you know, friends, you know, who are leaders of organizations who will reach out to me. Um, and they'll they'll use words like, you know, Dijon, you know, we have this position and we're looking for, you know, some... We want to increase our diversity and representation and, you know, and, and because it's us, I get to say, tell me exactly what you're looking for. We want to hire a black person in this position. Why? You know, well, we want to increase our diversity. You understand diversity is about more than just race. Yeah. You know, and so I give them an opportunity for us to have that conversation. What are you really looking for? But what I get is, by and large, organizations are looking for, we understand that the way we do business, we're leaving out entire segments of the, com of, of, the, of the community simply because all of us around the table have the same experience. That's right. And it's not all white people have the same experience, but there are some commonalities there. Um, one of the things I love every Thanksgiving when they do uh, hashtag Black Thanksgiving um, it's so hilarious that all of the things that I'm reading is my family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't write any of them. Nobody wrote, wrote any of them. But, but it's a shared experience when you are African-American. And so when they reach out to me, number one, I don't take it lightly. Because I understand they're asking. It is, it is a huge transfer of trust. And it is a position where they're saying we're acknowledging that we don't we don't have a network that includes the people we want to see at the table. It's refreshing at one point in that they're saying they see the they see a hole. Yeah. They see a deficiency or they see an opportunity for growth yeah. in their organization. It Absolutely. is it is. But do you feel a little bit of a uh, cuz I, I get this question. I get this question. Mm -hmm. Uh in fact I remember uh, uh probably the third time and I said, yes. Start to see a pattern. <laughs> I said, whoa, this is happening, like you said, with some regularity. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I've been in that room, and there are nobody. Nobody. There's nobody like me that looks there. Why are you asking me to serve here? And the, 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 the member was very funny. She said, I'll be honest with you. We need black people. Yep. And I'm asking you because we need you in this room on a regular basis because we don't know anything. Right. And we've been we've just haven't paid attention to this. And so I went, yes, because you were so honest. I will be here. I will do exactly. it. But then I got in the room mm -hmm. and I was going to speak up. 
Now, I'm just wondering if you had the same experience. Mm-hmm. I'm the only. I heard something. I saw something. I felt something. Mm-hmm. And it was very easy to let it pass because it wasn't oh, it yeah. wasn't anything intentional that anybody's saying or it doing. It was micro. It was very it was small. Micro. It was very small. Yeah. And it was, and what they were doing, I would have voted for it because it was moving the organization as a board member, it was moving the organization, organization forward. Mm-hmm. But it was omitting. It was omitting. It was omitting people like myself. Exactly. And so I was uh, confronted right on the spot mm-hmm. with don't you say nothing. Don't mess up the don't mess up the the it's unity in thing. this room. Yeah. This room is 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 flowing right. Don't be that one statement that just really shocks the room and causes the everything to just kind of disrupt and be the problem. Like why did they invite you to this this room? Mm-hmm. Uh so it was a little bit of a burden and a weight because I wanted to I wanted them to hear everybody like me, but I was the only person to co-sign what I was about to say. Yeah, I said it. I went ahead and said it, and it, it, and, it and I got I'm, over the years. I've become comfortable with being able to share that way. But how do you carry like the blessing? It is a blessing, sure, but it's also a little bit of a burden. That I don't fight it. You don't. No, it's you know you are it, that is when, as you as you describe the experience. You know what? You know what? What I felt coming up in my spirit is, I mean, I could see specific <laughs> things happening yeah. because it's so common. You know, here's the thing: is that somebody has to do it. And what I have shared with people before: the weight and burden of this skin is heavy. It's heavy. And what we saw happening collectively in 2020 was the weight of it all. It's relentless. You know, when you talk about things like infant mortality, the infant mortality of African-American children worldwide, not just in Oklahoma, not just in America, not just in North America, but worldwide, the infant mortality of African-American babies is twice that of white babies. Why is that? They did this, uh, this really intensive study a few years ago, um, and the conclusion was that it was stress, the stress and burden of being black. Not that black women who are carrying babies are less healthy or anything like that, but it's that persistent, an enduring weight of being black. You know, that, um, you know, when, when, when we are fearful, we, you know, human beings, when we are fearful, uh, you know, there are chemicals that get released in the body and, 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 you know, and a burning in your gut. You imagine living like that every single day and, and having to find ways to push it aside so that you can keep moving forward. And for those of us who dare to educate ourselves to a level where we will be in spaces where there will be fewer and fewer people who look like us. We're adding to the weight of the skin that burden Mm. that I'll go first. Mm. I'm willing to be the only one to have the tough conversations and to take the hits, you know, the things that make us uncomfortable that, 
that hurt our feelings that, um, you know, I remember describing some to someone I, I, I had a position uh, with an agency and I was the only one of 25. Um, and, and being black female, there were so many questions mm-hmm. about my clothes, about my hair. It, every day it was like living under a microscope. You know, if I came in in a, in a new outfit, there was commentary. If, you know, I mean, it was just a whole thing. But I also recognized that if I don't do it, I'm not creating space later for there to be more seats around the room that look like me. But, but so, many, so many people decide to, instead of, I don't know the right way to frame the thought, but so many people say, you know, I'm just going to conform to the group. Sure. Like instead of where this, uh, I'll change my, uh, I'll change the way I dress to kind of fit the culture. Sure. So, cause it just makes them comfortable and it keeps a lot of questions coming my way. Absolutely. Uh, so many people choose to do that and you choose obviously otherwise. Uh, what what it's my haircut that got you? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I like the haircut. I like the haircut. I like the haircut. It it's um you know and 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 I'll be honest with you. It's it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I remember telling my young son he was in he was in the eighth grade, and um I you know I I, I placed him in a school district and system where uh, that was predominantly white, and something had happened and it hurt his feelings. Uh, and so in talking to him, I said, well, sweetheart, I want you to understand that there are going to be so many times where you're going to be the only one and you're going to have to speak and represent the collective of all of us. Mm. There are going to be so many people who don't look like you. There are going to be so many white people that are going to shape their perception of every black boy and man and black person based on their interaction with you. And what you have to do is not get somebody killed later on. Now that sounds like a really heavy thing to put on a wow. kid who's in the eighth, eighth grade. grade. Yeah. And he says, well, mom, that's not fair. I said, I know it isn't, but you have an opportunity and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you play nice. So nobody gets, gets, gets hurt. Be who you are. You know, but you remember to you, you demonstrate the level of class and respect that sometimes you're not going to see because it doesn't change if you don't. You know, I don't need you to be like Chad. You can be like you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get people used to that presence. Because I was educated in a predominantly white world myself then I understand those feelings and, 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 and those, you know, those tiny little wounds. Um, but there are successes in it. You know, um, there, there really are. But I know that if we don't do the hard work, then we don't get to experience the successes. I think that, I think that's something that comes to mind that I have to sit with, and I think our white listeners should sit with and wrestle with is, there's a lot of people in Oklahoma who've gone their entire life being in spaces where like they've never been in a space where they've been the only one, mm-hmm. the only white person, like a majority of Oklahoma, a majority, a majority. Yes. So let's take that and let's whittle that down to the small group who has, 
And then you can say, oh, that one time I went to, you know. That one time I was that, at the car wash. That, that, that one time <laughs> when I, you know, took the wrong exit and, um, you know, it was like found myself, you know, on the east side and you know, ran out of gas or, you know, whatever the story is. And guess what? You were completely safe. You're completely safe. There's a lot of dynamics there. Mm-hmm. The the thing I, I would say is that. I never have questioned growing up and a lot of my a lot of my friends, white friends, never question why you're in the room. You might question like oh, maybe my skill, like I, I know I'm a creative person. I love marketing. You know, you bring me in for that. But at the end of the day, it's never been my race. Um, it has a little bit recently just being on the east side for so long. It's like, we need a white, we need a white guy in here. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, you come in here. So it's a little different. Hey, I got a threesome at the country club <laughs> called Tito because we don't have any white guys. Right. We need to make right. sure we right. validate the membership. Right. Right. So I, there, there's some of that. But for the most part, it, you step into a room and there's never a question. There's never the additional weight of why am I here? And I have the weight of speaking for my entire race. I, if if I mess up, then the person behind me, like they're not going to give another shot to a person behind exactly. me. Those, those are, that's, that's weight. That's, that's weight. That's mental tax mm-hmm. that you guys have to pay that I've never paid and I don't pay. And a lot of people don't even think about. And right. so one, I just appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. I think you've done an amazing job of kind of painting just a small fraction. We're, we're just talking about oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. one or two scenarios where in, in contrast, that's an everyday Every single day. You know, when that that word uh, white privilege, you know, gets thrown around, um, you know, if there is anything that I could encourage white people with in that phrase is that you've got to explain it all the way through. We understand what we mean and to the point you're making that because I'm white, I've never had the experience of if I'm the only one in the room and what it means. And, you know, I think it's because of the content of my character and my skills and all of that. But when when some white people hear white privilege, they think you're saying that means they didn't have to work hard. And that's not what it means. Absolutely not. They think you're saying it means they've been given everything and that's not what it means. What white privilege means is that nothing has been held from you because you're white, period. Doesn't mean you haven't been called some names and stuff. Doesn't mean, you know, you haven't been bullied. Doesn't mean any of that. And it doesn't mean a black person didn't treat you badly. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, you know, and I think that, you know, unpacking what those words mean, you know, that's the first step to de-escalation of all of this. To true understanding, because fundamentally, I shared I shared this with with a white gentleman who had, you know, he had some tough questions. And because he's a Christian, I said, you do understand that God created all of us, black, white, red, blue, whatever, all of us. And he created all of us in his image, not one more than the other, but all of us. And if you chew on that and wrestle with that, that becomes bigger than everything else. Man, I'm going to throw a curveball in your conversation. And I know we're supposed to be ending and Tito is (laughs) by the book when it comes to keeping it on time. But even we have to go to a part two. I think this is, I want to hear you. I think we're going to need a part two. You think think we're going to need a part two? We need need a part two. I really want to hear you talk about, because you talked about your son, you talked about how it felt 
uh, with George Floyd and and that whole uh, year uh, and what it felt like as a mom, as a black mom, and then sharing that with uh, with with white friends. And I and I'm so lucky and I and I know what it feels like when a white friend Mm -hmm. sends you that text. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And you know, they mean it. And you know, they mean and you know, they mean it. Like right. they just they don't they don't know like they're they, they I feel completely different about it but because they have a relationship with me or with you they are invested mm-hmm. in 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 outcomes and they're invested in how this right. plays out so I, it I matters to them it matters because to them. you matter to them that's why yeah that's why uh, and they're not even really to understand what it's all about but but it matters to us mm-hmm. and so it matters to them I want you to kind of give the audience that listens to this. Uh, because my wife and I sat in, in bed watching some of the confirmations hearing for. Oh, Katanji. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the honorable new oh, Supreme God. Court judge. And we listened to the questioning and we watched our husband behind her. We watched our daughter. We watched all that kind of stuff. And I, and I just wonder if you can describe, mm. if you can describe the moment, the opportunity she had, but also what it felt like to listen to the questioning and then what it felt like for the confirmation as a black woman. I knew she would be confirmed. Mm -hmm. The question always was how far were they going to go? Because they couldn't discredit her. We, we knew that going in, you know, and for the same reasons, you know, our parents said, you gotta run faster, jump higher. You know, so, so often when you find black professionals, they know that Um, with the election of President Barack Obama, you know, he seemed like such an enigma to the rest of the world. Like, who was this guy? Must have been raised in a cabbage patch or something. (laughs) You know, he doesn't have any skeletons or, you know, or anything like that. But watching her, I knew, I knew they would try to tear her down. I really had no idea the depths they would go. What they did is made themselves look like very small people. But I remember the first time, you remember the first time we saw Venus and Serena? <laughs> I don't know exactly yet, but I remember the, yeah, I remember. What, what, I remember my parents and my grandparents talking about like a boxer, Joe Lewis, mm-hmm. and, ha- and and what it meant to them. Right. What it meant to them. What it meant to them. Yeah. Because when when we first saw Venus and Serena, and and this is this is the important point that I think a lot of times white America they don't they really don't process this part, mm-hmm. but when you don't see yourself in a place, when you don't see people who look like you in a place, the subtle message it sends is you don't belong here. You don't belong in the White House. You don't belong in this place. And this is not a conversation about politics at all. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Um, and so the first time we saw them, we collect, and, and, you know, and their domination, uh-huh. we collectively thought as black people, 
we can do tennis now. Now, they weren't the first, you know. We know Althea Gibson and, you know, but I mean, but but they showed up and they were dominating. And so what that did to little black girls and boys is that, oh, we can do that. So imagine the messaging that gets sent when black kids see not just a black president, not just a black female Supreme Court justice, but black engineers, black business owners, black millionaires that that didn't be. And there's nothing wrong with becoming a millionaire because of sports or some or entertainment or something mm. like that. But 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 through business, it, that is the true leveling of the playing field. Even when we talk about the business academy, what this is about is us help not not just not just helping entrepreneurs but helping black entrepreneurs to see that you don't have to do this alone there's an entire network of people that you have access to and you have access to it because we have access to it and so we're going to march you right in the room and make those introductions watching how they questioned her during confirmation was it was it was disrespectful my my wife and and I've talked to others. I've asked I've asked other black women this same question, and before they even respond, I see their eyes water up as I saw yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if if I've asked them if they saw heard the Cory Booker speech. Mm. Oh, when I, if, I posted I that on about, my Facebook page. <laughs> I, I went and found it, cut it up to get just that little part because what he did. What's the part? What's the part? You know, it's the part when he was saying to her that you are enough. You are enough. You belong here. Mm-hmm. You are worthy and you have earned this. What he was doing, you know, when we talk about royalty, it was a true blessing to see that was a king saying, hold on, queen, catch your breath. I got this for a minute. You know, and I'm like, when I, when I saw it, I wept. Yeah. Because so many people did, about, and I want people oh, yeah. to understand why, yeah. where that comes from. Because I think about all of the times, not just in my personal life, but in my professional life, where, like you said, Tito, it was heavy. And somebody who looked like me said, catch your breath. I got it for a minute. And they came to rescue me, to let me know, you keep doing what you're doing. Because sometimes, like you said, that seat, that seat at the table is a real lonely seat. When you're carrying the weight of now, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm speaking for the whole, it's heavy. And sometimes you need somebody else to say, I got it for a minute. I want to let you know that what's happening here, it ain't right. But it does not represent all of us. You are more than enough. Yeah. So there's a, there's this, I've, I've said this before and Tito's heard me say this, but when people ask me uh, to describe the heaviness, and I describe it uh, this way: it's kind of like a backpack, mm-hmm. in that I, when I put it on, I still go the same places everybody else in the world go. Mm-hmm. I can still participate in every single thing. It doesn't. Do it. it does get troublesome at times, at times, right? And it does adjust, cause me right to not be able to sit in the in the chair exactly mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. I want to sit. And at times, it gets so heavy that it becomes burdens on my shoulders and and, and my back and these little things. But here's the wonderful thing Mm -hmm. that I have friends that sometimes that recognize the burden of my backpack 
and will carry it for me for a time, will hold it for a time. That's exactly And what it. I saw Cory Booker do was to say, I know exactly, I recognize that, that weight that mm-hmm. you are carrying mm-hmm. because I too have it sometimes. Yep. Uh, let Put it down for a second. Let me hold it. And you just rub your shoulders out. You That's just it. stretch you just, for a second. Just, just get it. Just right. knock the kinks out. And, and not only that, as I'm, not only did he take it, but he took some things out of the backpack and showed the world what's in this the backpack. This is not true. <laughs> right you know. so so good yeah so, it, so good. it was it was it was beautiful it, it was absolutely beautiful I, I i think that same thing that you know if you walk around and you've got um you know little weights arms you know feet or whatever and when you finally take them off at the end of the day uh and then somehow you feel just a little bit lighter and what conversations like this do is help the weight feel just a little bit lighter. Yeah. You know what? Laughter with friends and family, that helps it be just a little bit lighter. You know, seeing the product of someone saying, you really encouraged me with that so that I could carry my backpack for just a little bit longer. Yeah. That makes the weight lighter. That's good. To wrap up, what are what are your hopes and dreams for Oklahoma City, for our city? I grew up in the 80s, and Oklahoma was a place to leave mm. once you graduated from high school. What would inevitably happen is you graduate from high school. Maybe you'd do college here, maybe not. But at the end of your, your education, you would leave and go someplace else where you could make your dreams come true. It is a privilege to watch what is happening in Oklahoma City because we are becoming a city where your dreams can be manifest and come true right now and you don't have to leave. Yeah. This is such, um, this is a great state. What makes Oklahoma a great state is its people. We have, no matter what anybody else thinks, we have really magnificent people here, black, white, everything here when our policies begin to line up with the greatness of these people, we will truly be an awe-inspiring place. And so that is my hope. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, you've thank been, you for having me. <laughs> you've been wonderful. Uh, this is just a springboard for future conversations, yes. um, even outside of this podcast and on the east side that I know is going to be great. Uh, And so we will be back soon with more episodes and we want to thank you for listening. Share the episodes. I mean, this is so good. Share the episodes. Share it. You got to, you got to. So uh, as always, we're seeking common ground for common good. I'm Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Doe. And this is the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes, Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Please share the show with your friends and family. It really helps us to get the conversation out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good. This current season is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund.